Golden State Warriors basketball. Shoots over Danny Green. Rainbow! Nothing but net! How did he do it? The fifth three-point shot of the night for Steph Curry. This is Warriors Roundtable with the voice of the Warriors, Tim Roy. Draymond, left side, cross-court skip to Curry behind the screen for three. Got it! Cut the Dallas lead in half. And Rick Carlisle bounces on the floor and calls a timeout. 7 nothing one for Golden State. Draymond Green. How good a pass with that? That was an unbelievable find, an unbelievable delivery. Draymond getting it done. Down the right sideline. Curry gets a screen. Waits, top of the circle. A lot of traffic. He'll back it up. Gets a pick from Bogan. Weaving around Dalabair. Pass out to Green for three. Good! Warriors take the lead with 49.9 to go. Truly unbelievable. Curry will take it to the timeline. Here we go. Down to 17 seconds. A difference of one between the two clocks. Curry guarded by Calderon. 10 on the shot clock, waits for Bogut, gets his screen. Curry now guarded by Marion, backs up, has space with five, with four, dribbles on Marion, fades, pump fake, fadeaway jumper, got it! With 1.5 to go, Curry! Now Calderon gets the throws it in, no time, it's no good, the game's over! Three of the great moments from last night's win, the Warriors knocking off the Dallas Mavericks, Steph Curry with the game-winning shot, as you just heard, and what a fourth quarter. Golden State down by 18 in the game. They rallied for the win. The comeback Warriors, as they were down 27 to Toronto, 18 to Dallas, and both resulted in victories. Hi, everybody. Hi, Tim Roy. And uh, please take a seat around the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. We're back for another hour, and General Manager Bob Myers will lead us off. And one of the guys I want to ask him about is Draymond Green and his development and his ability to impact the game without it showing up on the stat sheet in big, eye-popping numbers. We'll also talk about the continuing efforts by Bob Myers and his staff to further upgrade the roster. Being a GM in the NBA is a 24-7, 52-a-week-year job, always on the lookout. And, of course, the 2014 draft in June. How are the Warriors preparing for that, even though their first-round selection belongs to the Utah Jazz? Also this week on the Roundtable, a special look at one of the great sportsmen ever. Nelson Mandela passed away recently, and we'll hear comments from various players about Nelson Mandela and his impact on their lives. Among the people we'll hear from is head coach Mark Jackson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and also Lakers guard Steve Nash. I'll answer your questions on Warriors Vox on Twitter, Warriors VOX, and we'll also play part of a conversation we had with Del Curry, the father of Steph Curry and the father of Seth Curry of the Santa Cruz Warriors, and we'll talk about his life as a basketball dad. Then we're going to break down the numbers. Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com. He had the per diem column, and you can follow him on Twitter as well. He is one of the pioneers of analytics, breaking down basketball by the numbers. We'll talk about what works and what doesn't work as far as breaking down the NBA game. It's all this hour on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable and news today for Golden State. The first returns for NBA All-Star Balloting 2014 were released by the league. Warriors guard Stephen Curry ranking third among Western Conference backcourt players. Andre Iguodala is ninth and David Lee 13th. 
among the top 15 front court vote getters. The top three are starters there, and then the top two on the guard line are starters. So again, you can continue to uh, dub the vote. Go to warriors.com for more information. All this on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. It's going to be a great show, and Warriors General Manager Bob Myers will kick us off next on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Lee wrestles away the rebound, leads a three-on-two, finds Bogut running the floor, and he throws it down with two hands. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Well, the Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. I, Tim Roy, and we're at the quarter pole, just a little bit past it, as the Warriors are 13-10 and 10 on the season. We'll check in now with Warriors General Manager Bob Myers. And, uh, Bob, I know that... Uh, the last couple of home games have been taxing on everybody's emotions. How are you holding up? I don't know. <laughs> These are not easy ones. I mean, the the, the uh, we've won some of them, which is good. We've lost some, uh, which is probably about right. You play close games, you're usually going to um, probably flip a coin whether you win or lose. But Curry's been good enough to get us over the hump a couple times, and then obviously keep us. In the in the fight, uh, even if we've lost some of them or came up short, but I, I wish we would play a little bit better over the entire course of the game, which I think everybody would like to see. But uh, it's a work in progress, and hopefully, we'll um, just continue to improve. You know, Bob, it, it, maybe uh, Jerry West and Billy Bean are right. You know, maybe you shouldn't watch the games. I mean, that's the way it's headed, Tim. I mean, that's sad <laughs> to say. That's, I don't know if it's good for anything. Blood pressure, overall health. I can't control the outcome. I mean, it's it's one of those things where um, obviously you want to see your team, and but it, at times it really is. It's really intense because um, it's frustrating. You know, you watch watch a really good things happen, and then you watch some uh, things happen that you clearly don't like to see. But um, I guess it's exciting, right? It's not boring. Let's put it that way. Yeah, a, no, no. The volatility index of the Warriors is high. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, the volatility and also the emotional aspect. They, right. they drag you through highs and, and lows. Yeah, I've asked the fans to ask you uh, some questions, but I wanted to check in with you first on, on, uh, on a couple of the injuries, and I know that the latest is Jermaine O'Neal. Uh, what's up with Jermaine? Well, he's been trying. He's been fighting, Tim, to get through this wrist uh, injury that he actually suffered, I believe, uh, it's, it's a past injury, but it was re-aggravated when he uh, he had that spill where he actually kind of banged up his knee and his groin. He actually he, he supported himself on the fall with his wrist, and then it was kind of lingering, tried to play through it, kept getting hit on it. He's been trying to gut it out and play through it, and he just can't be effective. Um, he's been playing with one arm. So the idea is to get it taken care of and get him back at some point so we have him for the stretch run of the season. But uh, he's been great for us, and I think um, – Hopefully he has a speedy recovery, but uh, we got three seven-footers that are hurt, so that's never fun. That's that's uh, that's something you'd like to avoid. But uh, Bogut's been good, and we got Hilton Armstrong now to shore it up a little bit. So, got to keep fighting. T- tell me a little bit because the questions I get the most uh, on Twitter and when fans stop me, they, they want you know they always and they're curious and they're they're fans. They want when is Andre going to be back? When's Festus going to be back? And uh, those guys are progressing back to the floor, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, obviously Iguodala is a lot closer than Festus. I mean, he's that was a major uh, procedure that he had done, and uh, he uh, he's, he's going to take a little more time and. And then that's a, a different issue. But uh, Iguodala's getting closer, and you just got to be smart about hamstrings because if you come back too soon, it uh, it can re-aggravate the injury, and that's not good for him or any of us. So you, you want to be careful. I think 
if it was a playoff type or situation or a must-win type situation, you might push him back sooner. But that's not where we are right now. As much as we want him and need him, there's no, it's not a desperation type thing uh, at this point. You know, Mark Jackson's very good at not using, you know, the schedule, and he keeps the players from focusing on that. But as a as a broadcaster. You know, I kind of look at teams' records, and they're indicative of who they played to that point. Mm-hmm. So with all that, you know, with all the injuries that the Warriors have had uh, to the moment, and the fact they've played the most road games, the fewest amount of games against the Eastern Conference, are you satisfied with where the club is? No, I don't think you're ever satisfied. I mean, I think there's things that, uh, Tim, we've seen that are good and things that are need addressing. But um, I think the thing that's most frustrating and, you know, this it's hard to make this not sound like an excuse. And um, I think we obviously could have played better in certain stretches of this season so far and in certain stretches of individual games. But um, really would like to see a healthy core of our six players for, man, I don't know if we've had it very long. And and I'm not saying we win or lose with that group. It's to be determined, but like to see it at least, to evaluate. So... It's been hard. That's been most frustrating. I always tell people the most frustrating part of the job is the injuries because in the position that I sit in in our front office, it's very difficult to evaluate at any team without your core group intact because that's what you designed for and um, what you really need to see. So I think uh, that element has certainly been frustrating, the injuries. So you know, we, we, I think we, we've played good in stretches and not so good in others. But it's never perfect. You'd like to actually hit your stride later rather than sooner. Last season, we got off to a great start. Um, I think we were 12-7 and seven at the start or something something very good. And we're not – I would, wouldn't say it's a great start. But um, a lot of road games, like you said, and hopefully we can continue to grow and, and hit the stride maybe later in the season. Well, thank the fans for sending in so many questions at Warriors Vox on Twitter, Warriors VOX, or Tim Roy at Warriors.com. And since we've received so many, I'm going to combine a couple that are along the same vein. And the Waldini 101 sums up a number of questions when he says, how aggressive will the Warriors be at the trade deadline? Are you looking to bolster the bench? Sure. I mean, we're aggressive today, right now, tonight. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's true, though. It's true. But, but, but realistically... Uh, the history of the league would would tell you that deals really are hard to do uh, away from deadlines, meaning whether it's the draft or the trading deadline or, or free agency. But we're active and we're working towards making the team better. And I always tell people, even if we were undefeated, you're still trying to improve your team every day. We're not coming off a championship season. We think we need to improve in a lot of areas. Uh, and we always will, for that matter. So we're always looking, and if any deal makes sense, we'll look hard at it. Um, and we'll see where we are at the trade deadline as well. But I would tell the fans and the listeners, we're aggressive. I think we showed that when our pursuit of Iguodala and the roster changes we've made since ownership took over, Joe and Peter. I, I think there's one or two players left on the roster from when they bought the team, which is Curry and uh, and David Lee. So we're not afraid to do deals, and we're not sitting here on our hands. Um, but you got to be smart about it. So we'll be active and continue to talk and look and see what makes sense for us. I am gold wants to know, Bob, and this is, I think, a really interesting question. He says, with the team having conveyed their uh, 2014 first rounder to Utah in in order to get Andre Iguodala, uh, how will the Warriors approach this upcoming draft? We'll study it. We'll do our homework. We'll approach it as if we do have a pick, Tim, and uh, that's how you have to do it because usually you are presented with options to get in the draft. You may not like them, but I'm sure an option will come up where we can get in if we want to. And uh, we need to know what the value of that pick is that's being offered to us. So 
it's something you have to do. You have to be prepared for. You have to be ready for. Last year we didn't have a pick, and we were able to attain one and draft Nedovich. So um, you'd be you'd, you'd be not doing your your due diligence or work if you weren't ready for the draft. So we'll approach it aggressively, like we always do, and see what comes our way. But um, you know, it's it's also got to be the right deal. Same thing. Any deal we do, whether it's for a pick or anything else, needs to make sense for the for the short term and long term. We hope. Every time we get Bob Myers on, we learn something new. And, and uh, a couple of questions we have concerning Draymond Green, so I'll paraphrase. Uh, did you know he was going to make this kind of progress so quickly, and did you know he was this good as a defender when you drafted him? Well, it's interesting. I think the thing I've come to learn about Draymond, which we all knew he would do little things to win games, but in college he did it. Now it's not for certain that that translates to the NBA. With him, it, it certainly has. And he's become much more perimeter-oriented than he was in, was in college. Um, he's kind of had to. And he's he's transitioned into that role. He's really worked on his shot where he's done a good job, I think, shooting in the mid to high 30s from three. Um, made him a dangerous stretch four type player. He's also played a lot of the three while Iguodala's been out. I think the thing we valued in Draymond when we, when we drafted him was we view winning as a skill, and I've said that before. So if you win to us, that's just as good as being fast or jumping high or being tall or being long. You win, and he wins. And the guy, I think, went to two or three Final Fours and just helped a team win games. There's players like that in the NBA, and um, you'd be surprised how coveted they are. It's, it was surprising to us that Draymond got to where he did in the draft based on how we valued him, but he's been very good for us. And uh, and I think he's getting better. That's the encouraging thing. He seems to be improving. I remember on draft night, we uh, spoke with Tom Izzo on the phone, and, and uh, he was just going on and on about, uh, he kept using the word winner with Draymond, and uh, it was it was it's really amazing. I, I was trying to scratch my head last night and with uh, Tom Tolbert, uh, Bob. We were trying to figure out, you know, what player in the league could guard Monte Ellis and then Dirk Nowitzki on consecutive possessions. I mean, that's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. No, he's um, – I'm trying to think who could do that. Not many. Um, and then there's probably a couple out there that, that could, but um, not many at all. And, and then also not hurt you on the other side and make smart plays. I mean, he's not just a defensive player, which is he, – he made that pass to Curry, oh. which which is – I guess it's an assist in the books, but it's more than that. I mean, it's, it should be worth two or three assists because it's a very difficult to read. I mean, most most players would never even consider that or see that, and, and let alone if they saw it, hard to even make that pass. So uh, that's a big pivotal moment in the game. There's little things. Obviously, everybody's going to remember the three-pointer that he hit, but like you said, the defense on Ellis at the end there to force him into a difficult shot that uh, I think was not the play that the Mavericks drew up at the end was to get Monte taking a free throw line turnaround jumper, but to get for Draymond to get him to kind of break off the play and go to that move was was a thing that that'll never show up in any stat. But um, yeah, I mean he's really he's been great for us. He's been fantastic in his demeanor and his enthusiasm is infectious. So um, we're, we're we're happy to have him. That pass he threw to Curry, I was convinced it had to have been a set play. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, because who, who, as you said, yeah. who reads that play? Who makes that play? Yeah, well, I mean, not that's, me. a, that's like a, that's to me, the only guy I could think of that could make that kind of a play was, was Magic because he had the size to yeah. throw over somebody and, yeah. and the ability to read it. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's, it's interesting. His IQ is high. I mean, I think Bogut's IQ is high and, he, and for Bogut to, 
kind of read it as well and, and kind of hit Calderon on the play and get Curry open a little bit. Iguodala's got a lot of that in him, re- seeing things. And the best players, from, from the listeners and fans' perspective, a lot of people can watch the game and that are, that do study the game can watch and say, well, this player should have made that pass or he missed a guy and he was wide open. When you watch a guy like Draymond or a lot of times Iguodala Bogut, they'll make a pass that you didn't even see. And I don't think anybody saw – if Draymond hadn't have made that pass, nobody would have criticized him and said, how can you not see Curry in the corner? I right, mean, yeah. So, so you get guys that are uniquely skilled and able to see something you didn't even see to leave you shaking your head. And that's, that's just, a, it's just something you can't teach. It's high basketball IQ. And in tight games like last night was where we're not playing our best basketball, you either win or lose games on plays like that. I mean, if that ball's tipped – even if we retain possession, it goes out of bounds. If that ball's tipped and we don't get the play, and there's all these little things in games that, that people don't realize, tiny little things that contribute to winning and losing. Um, and that was one that contributed to winning the game. And Draymond Green makes a lot of those tiny little plays that, that help you win. Bob Myers, Warriors general manager, is on with us here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I'm Tim Roy. Anything league-wide surprise you so far? I I, I gotta be I, I, every year. Every year, Bob, I go into the year thinking, okay, the East is gonna be better this year, and mm-hmm. every year it just doesn't get better. Yeah, I mean, I guess at an overall comment, it, it, I am surprised at that. Um, and there's been some injuries in the East, but there's been some injuries in the West too. And um, you just thought some of these teams would come together a little bit, a lot, a lot of change in the East, and you'd think it would gel, but sometimes reshaping rosters take takes time for it to all become a cohesive unit so that's somewhat surprising there's been some injuries that um you'd, you'd never like to see that that kind of you shake your head at and say wow here we go again uh with, with some major injuries but um you know there's there's some interesting positive surprises portland's been very good um in the west and then um it's always a surprise, Tim, like you said. It, it, but but one of you, on a larger scale, you're right. The Eastern Conference, it'll be interesting to see if it swings back a little bit because it's been really um, dilapidated with, with, with its performance against the West and just its overall performance as far as product of play. So I'll be curious to see if it improves. I imagine it will improve, but um, hey, I, we're not in the East, so... <laughs> We're in the West. Yeah, so there's no, no, and we're no not West. moving to the East. So it is yeah. what it is. I got to fight unless we fight can in the take, West. you know, put Oracle somewhere east of the Mississippi. I think we're we're stuck I with think it. We're here. We're pretty yeah. far west. So. Yeah. Speaking speaking of West, do you have any more uh, scouting trips to Hawaii? I know that's, no. that's tough duty. I'm going to but, New York uh, next week. So okay. that's uh, there's a couple of games out there. Um, in uh, UCLA plays Duke. Uh, so that'll be good. And then there's a doubleheader, Jimmy V Classic of Florida, Memphis, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. So it's a good chance to knock out six, uh, six teams in a short amount of time. But, um, you know, that's, that's, that goes back to the fan that asked about scouting. You still have to do your work, and you have to find time to do it. It's very hard to be around your own team and then scout college and then keep an eye on the rest of the NBA. It's almost impossible. You need to clone one or two of yourselves. Um, but we rely heavily on our scouts. Kirk Legg's been out. Travis Schlink's been out. Uh, Larry Harris, Larry Riley. I mean, we got a lot of guys out watching games. But ultimately, I have to get my eye on a guy to have an opinion. I mean, you can't rely on TV or video if you need to make a decision. So not Maui, New York. So I, I think the weather will be similar, though, is what I hear. <laughs> yes, it'll be, yeah, pack your shorts. Uh, you, know, you know what's funny about that is, and in, in going back to the fans' question about getting ready for the draft, 
you know, I thought uh, even even last year, maybe even mid-first round, people were thinking the Warriors aren't going to do much in this draft. But then what? You made about, what, about five oh, trades yeah. in five minutes? And, and Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We're always – and the, the, even the Iguodala thing I go back to, there was a very small percent chance that that was actually going to happen. And you can't, after the fact, go out to the fans and listeners and say – hey, we tried really hard, and I worked really hard at uh, trying to get this great player that we didn't get. Nobody really cares. Um, fortunately, with a lot of the work we've put in, we've been able to get some results. But there's going to be times where we work very hard and don't get the results. But but if you work hard constantly and are doing your work and are opportunistic, you're going to more often than not achieve something. Uh, sometimes it's sooner, sometimes it's later. But our mindset within our front office and ownership is – to constantly be pushing the envelope and seeing what's out there, being prudent, um, not rash, but constantly exploring every single angle to make this team a championship team. And we're never going to stop doing that. But it doesn't mean every draft we're going to make five moves in the first round. But I, I promise we'll be looking to see if we can. Um, so it's fun. It's fun. It's exciting. And that's, that's, uh, that's the approach we always take. Well, I've got one final question for you. And it involved a note that came up yesterday. Uh, Adam Silver, the incoming commissioner of the NBA, when David Stern s- steps down in February, he was talking about the fact that the the league is going to be at least looking at the possibility of doing away with divisions. Mm. What was your What would your reaction be to that? I'd have to know more about it. I mean, I think it's in a sense people don't view the divisions. I bet a lot of astute fans probably don't even couldn't even get it right if they were asked to. Who's to, in the division? Yeah, who's right. in what division? I don't think people really concentrate on that as much. I know it's probably more predominant in baseball. It seems like it's got more of a history, but that's even diluted a little bit with the wild card. And football, it, you know, it, it does tend to matter a little bit more because you're playing that team twice um, out of out of 16 games, so it takes on more of your schedule. If you're in a weaker or tougher division in football, it may affect your chances for success. So it's a little bit more meaningful there. Um, because in the Western Conference, whether we're in the Pacific Division or where we are, you're usually playing um, 90% of the teams. You know this four times. So right. you're still doing the same thing you would do within your own division and, and uh, specific conference. So I think it would be interesting. I'd like to hear more about it. I, I think um, it would be fun, I guess, to look at. Uh, yeah, it's always, it's always been a little weird to me that, that the Warriors are an hour and change away from Portland and Utah, and yet the, some years play them only three times. That that, that yeah. made a lot of sense to me. No, but. and then yeah, I, 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 and honestly, there's no there's no set formula for why you do or don't. I mean, that's that's you just look at your schedule and say, wow, we're only playing. I think we only have Oklahoma City three times uh, this year, and I think we possibly might be done with Memphis now. I think I think we have one more with Memphis. One more with Memphis. So, but I they, think they Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, we have one more. I think we only get right. them three times, but we're there. And then you don't know if you're going twice there. Obviously, you don't want to go twice to Oklahoma City. <laughs> Probably never want to play there. They, they can go to the east. That's yeah, right. they yeah, yeah, the yeah. East. They're <laughs> close enough to the Mississippi. Um, so, you know, you just kind of take what you get. But uh, it'd be interesting to look at and see. Hey, Bob, I always appreciate your time. And, and uh, congratulations on, on the job you're doing. And uh, I know the Warrior fans are, are feeling very happy that you're on board uh, with the franchise and, and look forward to getting that core group you know, on the floor and, and playing and, and uh, hopefully maybe get like a 20-game stretch where you can really see what you have there because I think it'll be a, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think you know, all the fans will be very well pleased 
when they see that group out there. Yeah, that would be my Christmas wish. <laughs> there you go. There All you right, go. that's too. the holiday wish. Thank yeah. you, Bob. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Oh, it over Duncan. <laughs> Elevation sensation for Harrison Barnes. Golden State Warriors basketball. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Recently, humanitarian and NBA ambassador Nelson Mandela passed away at the age of 95, leaving a trail of goodbyes and social media send-offs in its wake. Throughout his life, he worked to eradicate racism in South Africa and end apartheid. And his efforts made an imprint on the younger generation, not only in his native South Africa, but also throughout the world. Here now, we'll hear from various warriors, including head coach Mark Jackson, and we'll also hear from Steve Nash, the former Santa Clara star, who was born in South Africa and has a genuine connection with Nelson Mandela. He was a very big symbol of strength for the whole world, Africa especially. You know, his, his role in the anti-apartheid movement was, was very, very instrumental, very key. I mean, it showed a lot of, uh, it showed a lot of guts, a lot of strength. And, uh, you know, he's always been a very, very inspirational person to me. Uh, growing up, you know his story and all that. And, um, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's sad to see him go, but we all know that he's in a better place now. Nelson Mandela is one of the great human beings, you know, on, on this planet, and uh, his story and his sacrifice is something that should be told over and over and over again for generations and cultures to come. It's not even for sport, just for me as a person to learn of uh, his his struggle, you know, his transformation, uh, the way he changed the world, his you know, incredible perseverance and mental toughness and strength to be able to face the oppression and adversity he did and come out, um, uh, you know, not only a, a conquering figure, but uh, a transformed person. I mean, it's an incredibly telling story of humanity, and, and he's, he's taught us all, I think, a tremendous amount and inspired us. ultimate leader, inspiring a country to, uh, you know, to change, how impressive his life was and the things that he uh, you know, preached every single day about equality, uh, you know, civil rights and, and doing it through peace and, and inspiring unity. The fact that he uh, had such a great life, a long life of impacting so many people, uh, leading a country to, to better itself, you know, he was the ultimate uh, leader and uh, inspiring individual that we can all learn a lesson from. Well, thoughts and prayers to all those affected um, by the passing of Mr. Mandela, an incredible, incredible man. Legendary as far as his stance, his commitment, a warrior, no pun intended. We are truly blessed to have had 
his impact on society and, uh, and this nation. So um, to many, I say uh, I salute him for his time. And just like a true Christian, I believe he's going to get a one giant well done from God when he sees him. And uh, we certainly appreciate all that he's done for all of us. talking to a guy who not only affected a country, you know, or even a continent, you're talking to a guy who's, you know, affected a whole world, you know, he's put his stamp on this world, and, you know, when you're talking peace, you know, you're talking, he, it, it didn't matter religion, it didn't matter color, you know, none of those things mattered, it was all about peace within this world, and, you know, he's infected not only blacks, not only whites, but, you know, every race that you can think of, so you're talking to a guy who, in 95 years, you know, he's not only changed South Africa, He's changed his world, and we have to be thankful for his time here. Golden State Warriors basketball. Clay Thompson launches again and buries a three from right in front of the Clippers bench. Uh-oh, got a shootout. Okay, Corral, here we go. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Time now to answer your questions on Twitter at WarriorsVox, Warriors V-O-X, or you can send me an email at the Warriors website to Timroy, T-I-M-R-O-Y-E, at Warriors.com. So Golden State with the most road games in the NBA, coming off that last stretch of seven of eight on the road. And in our final stop, I had a chance to check in with Del Curry. He is the father of Steph Curry, obviously. He's also the father of one of the Warriors D-League players. And so I had a chance to talk with Del for just a moment about being a basketball dad. Television analyst for the Charlotte Bobcats, and i got to imagine that the Curry family circles the two games between the Bobcats and, and the uh, Warriors pretty early on. Yeah, we really do, and, and we've been fortunate that uh, you haven't come in on a back-to-back to Charlotte, so we've got to just spend some time with Seth and uh, hang out a little bit. And then when we go out to the Bay Area, I think we have two days off before that game, so very fortunate in that area. What was it like to have two sons in the same training camp? It was exciting. A good learning experience for Seth. Uh, a little behind the eight ball with, with how his, his surgery went. So um, to learn from his brother, learn what the league is all about, how to go about your business, it was great. And I think um, Steph really enjoyed having his brother there, too. So it was great. And Seth has actually gotten off to a pretty good start with Santa Cruz. He really has. He's played well. Uh, he's assisted the ball well. Um, I think he's shown he can play point guard. So um, continue to play. You know, maybe he'll get a look. But uh, he, he's in a good situation, and uh, we're happy the Warriors, you know, gave him that opportunity. He's taking advantage of it. Tell me what you see with Steph's game and and the progress that he has made. It's just been incredible. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you could match the playoff series uh, that he had last year. And his summer was really busy. Um, I thought early this year he looked a little sluggish, um, maybe, you know, layover from how busy he was in the summer. But I think he's got his legs under him now a little bit, uh, shooting the ball better. Um, and it's a different different situation for him in that he really doesn't have a Jerry Jack or a guy, the, the Douglas out. He doesn't have that guy to come in and, and uh, you know, kind of take up the slack when he isn't playing as well. So he's got a little bit more onus on him to, to play well and, and play uh, better minutes on a nightly basis. Unfair dad question. Could you have imagined uh, how well he's playing? Absolutely not. No. Um, you know when your son has skill and he loves the game and he works hard at it, but you can't imagine what's, what that is going to equate to. And for him to be playing as well as he is, as early as he is, uh, as early as it is, it's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, we're just wishing, praying for health and uh, he continues to get better. 
Now, the Toronto was just in town, and one of the writers was telling me off mic that, that he thought when you were playing for Toronto, the best shooters were shooting at a different court during the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they often they, they didn't see much uh, of the Raptor games. They were up on the practice court shooting. If the game was tight, they'd come back down. But, uh, I think, again, that was a good experience for him. I think it's helped him. It's helped Steph become the player he has so soon because he's been around the game so long. And uh, when, you, when you get a chance to work out on the uh, NBA Pro court you take advantage of it and they did that couple final questions real quick you went through the same thing uh, does being a father change someone's perspective in the nba uh no uh, i don't think so um you know you just have to 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 know who you are and uh and, and don't change the person you are remember what got you there and that's what happened and finally, what about uh, being a grand- grandfather? That's the best part about it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually snuck out to the Bay Area last week and, and spent a day or so with Riley. Um, she didn't make the trip here, though, but they'll come in later. But uh, we used to come in and visit Steph and I and talk, hey, how are you doing? Now we say, hey, where's the, where's the grandbaby? So uh, being a granddad is great. That's great. Congratulations on that and a great job of raising your kids. And, and best of luck to you when your coverage of the Charlotte Bobcats. Right. Thank you, Tim. My thanks to Del Curry, one of the great gentlemen in the NBA, and what a great time it is for him. Not only is he a grandfather, but he also has a a son in the the NBA and a son in the D-League hoping uh, to get to the NBA. Now, on to your questions. Uh, Tim B. wants to know, what was Steph Curry's reaction like after hitting that game-winning shot? So let's go back to last night and the locker room, and you're going to hear something from Steph about this being his first game-winner since... It's unbelievable. Check it out. High school. We blew everybody out of Davidson, so we didn't need game winners. <laughs> you can hear the entire uh, post-game interview, highlights from last night, a complete reaction, including pre-game sound from last night. Any Warrior sound you want to listen to, go to soundcloud.com slash warriors. That's soundcloud.com slash warriors, a complete warrior page dedicated to you, the best fans in the NBA. And you can check out any of the interviews we do on Warriors Radio, immediately go up on SoundCloud. So make sure you check it out. It's a great way uh, to get caught up on all your Warriors information and to hear from your favorite players and coaches. Thank you for all your questions on Twitter at WarriorsVox, WarriorsVox, or TimRoy, T-I-M-R-O-Y-E, at Warriors.com. You can send me an email. We try to answer as many as we can, and we will be answering questions all year long on our postgame show, including tomorrow night where the Warriors take on the Houston Rockets. 7 o'clock is the airtime of the upcoming games. Brought to you by Cash Creek Casino Resort. Tom Tolbert will be alongside, so you want to make sure you have a couple of questions for Tom as well. The Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues, and one of the great innovations in the NBA has been the development of analytical stats. And one of the pioneers of that process, Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com and his per diem column, he joins me next to explain what we're looking at when we break down the numbers on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Left side, Bogut, touch pass to David Lee. Two-hand, rim-racker for Lee. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. The Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. I'm Tim Roy. Exciting game last night. Warriors get the win. And tomorrow night, the Houston Rockets in town. 7 o'clock is the airtime on KBR 680 and the Warriors Radio Network. Now we're going to switch and go to a gentleman we've been wanting to get on our show for a long, long time, and that is Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com. And, and uh, Kevin, appreciate your time, and, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Tell me a, a little bit about 
your background. How did you get into this, and, and when did you start looking at basketball in a numbers-crunching way? You know, I, I would say it was uh, in college. I started reading Rob Nyer when he was writing uh, on ESPN.com about baseball and, and became very influential and started reading Baseball Prospectus and some of the other statistical sites when, you know, that was uh, the baseball revolution was in its early stages uh, online and started thinking, hey, who's doing this for basketball? And eventually came across a couple of guys, uh, Dean Oliver, who now works at ESPN with us and was for a very long time the, the first prominent statistical consultant for a team with the Sonics and then later the Denver Nuggets. And then also John Hollinger, uh, who ended up uh, at ESPN.com a few years later and really was influential in, in the growth of this and people starting to understand its value publicly. When you uh, look at basketball, and and, uh, and and one of the things that, that intrigues me about looking at it and, and looking at the analytics and trying to figure it all out, it, it, it to me, as you look at the game, it's probably the hardest game, I think, to quantify. You know, football, there's a down and there's a result after every down. Uh, you know, baseball, there's a pitch, there's a result after every pitch. You know, basketball, and to a certain extent hockey, you know, they're more, much more subtle. You know, there's little nuances. You know, how did he set the screen? What angle did he set the screen? Did, did the defender fight through the screen? Did he get partially through the screen? Was he totally screened off? I mean, there's so many little nuances. It's, I think it's, it's got to be the hardest game, really, to figure out. You know, I, I think we probably have it easier than, like, soccer and, to a lesser extent, hockey, because they're so flow-based. But, yeah, it's all these things that, you know, were not tracked for many years and were very difficult to track. So, you know, now there's a few different ways to, to start to measure these things. The uh, sport view camera tracking data that's available publicly this year on NBA.com is really interesting in terms of, you know, just capturing everything that happens on the court. And then the other option is using plus-minus data, which, you know, is very noisy, but also implicitly captures everything that's happening, you know, whether you can track it or not. Let's talk about plus-minus, and I think it's it's really interesting uh... – it's not perfect because if you're you could be a good player on a bad team and have a horrible plus minus, but to me the five man groups on and off the floor I think that's really intriguing because I think it really shows how players work together. Yeah, it's tough because of the fact that many of those groups have so few minutes together, especially if your team that's you know had injuries and hasn't hasn't had a consistent starting lineup like the Warriors have this year. But uh, you know it gives you the opportunity to compare. Uh, slightly different groups, and then you know there's some lineups that play enough together that you really get a good sense of, of how effective they are. The tracking cameras, to me, where do you think that comes into play? And I know the Warriors had it last year, and the, and they're using it. Uh, but where where do you th- see that fitting in? Well, I, you know, I think there's a few layers to it. Uh, I, I think one is quantifying kind of specific skills. So, you know, there's uh, tracking drives to the hoop and which players are most efficient with those this year is one thing that, you know, you have a sense of that, obviously, watching games, but this gives you a way to to measure it in a more objective fashion. And then I think there's this entirely different level. Uh, Some of this the Toronto Raptors started doing last year, and uh, Zach Lowe wrote a great feature on Grantland about what they were doing, which is, you know, just capturing the motion of all five players on the floor and sort of how they interact. Uh, one of the things that really interests me is the value of a great shooter, like the Warriors have several of, and how that impacts everyone else because of the fact that 
you know, the, the help defenders have to stay at home and respect their shooting ability, and that opens up the paint. Yeah, no question about it. Kevin Pelton, our guest from ESPN.com, he wrote a very uh, interesting article on the eve of uh, the Mavericks coming to town comparing Monte Ellis, former Warrior Guard, and Clay Thompson. And it was, I think as you broke it down, you kind of made the case for both guys. They're both excellent players. They both can, can play and help a team win, though they do it in different ways. Yeah, they're both shooting guards, but playing very different styles at that position where, you know, Monte Ellis has the ball in his hands so frequently, and Clay Thompson generally is catching and shooting, doesn't have it as much, but is very efficient with the chances that he does get. And, you know, it seems like when you have a guy like Steph Curry that, Clay's style is really much more valuable next to him, and it's kind of freed up Steph Curry to make this next step in his evolution. So whereas Monte Ellis found a good situation for him in Dallas, playing alongside good shooters where he can run a lot of pick and rolls. So that trade really ended up ultimately being best for both sides. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's curious to, to me when people look at that trade and they wonder about it because there was also a really simplistic view when the Warriors traded Monte. And that was inside their division. You had Cousins, you had the Lakers, who at the time had Gasol and Bynum. You had the Clippers, who had you know, Jordan and Griffin. Uh, you know, you had Gortat down in Phoenix. The Warriors had to get bigger. They had to have a bigger presence inside. And when you had a chance to, you know, to get a guy like Andrew Bogut, you had to take that opportunity. And that's the interesting thing about the last couple of years is that the Warriors haven't necessarily been better offensively than they were, you know, with the Curry-Ellis backcourter during that period. But they've made a remarkable defensive transformation under Mark Jackson. And, you know, having Andrew Bogut's size in the paint is a huge, huge part of that. How much a factor is pace of play? Because I, I, like a team like the Warriors, historically, the last couple of years, they play at a fast pace. So their turnovers are going to be higher. How much of a factor is that? You know, it's tough to say how much of a factor it is in terms of wins and losses. Uh, you know, there are contrasting viewpoints on that, but certainly it, it colors the way we look at teams. And, you know, if you're still looking at points per game, it's easy to think that a team that runs a lot is very good offensively and weak defensively, even if that may not actually be the case when we put them on a level playing field in terms of possessions. And, and then there are the other subtle factors. You know, you mentioned turnovers, and there's areas like that where offense impacts your defense and vice versa. Yeah, and I, I love the uh, the efficiency rating because that, that tells me, you know, over a, a, a standard set of possessions how teams are doing. I, I think that's that, to me, is one of the more important ones that's come in a long time. Absolutely. I think it's something that's, you know, relatively easy for people to understand because, you know, it's it's just a simple matter of not having as many opportunities or the same number of opportunities to, to put up points offensively or give up points defensively. And especially in a league where we're starting to see wider gaps in terms of pace, you know, Philadelphia, for example, is playing at an extremely fast pace so far this year and, and pace is up league-wide, but not everyone has uh, come along for that ride. Kevin Pelton's our guest, and, and uh, Kevin, uh, our friend David Locke in Utah wants to do away completely with shooting percentage. Are you, <laughs> he only wants true or effective shooting percentage. Are you, are you a fan of that? You know, I'm not as militant, but uh, we spent some time <laughs> together last week in Portland. And, you know, one of the things I think, think about in that context is, you know, people will talk about, oh, a player shoots too many threes because they only shoot, say, you know, 30% from three-point range. But no one would ever say that a guy shoots too many, you know, two-pointers if they're shooting 45% because of the fact that we're trained to think of it in terms of, you know, that those field goal percentage terms and making more shots is better. But, 
you know, the, the added value of the three-pointer is so high that really the, the takeaway is the team should probably be more, shooting more three-pointers than they do. You know, the, 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 one, the one field goal percentage that, uh, that I go to, and, and, and not even as much offensively anymore, but, but to me, defensive field goal percentage tells me something about the team because you can, you can break it down, but to me, that indicates are they, are they trying on the defensive end, are they giving an effort? Because if you look historically, the teams that keep that defensive field goal percentage down, what the opponents are shooting against them, you know, historically, those are the really good teams in the league. Those are teams you have to really factor in, the San Antonio's and teams like that, because, you know, you know they're playing defense. And that's one that coaches traditionally love to look at uh, in, in particular. But, you know, the one, the one thing that we're seeing is teams change their philosophy about how to defend the three-point line. Portland is a good example this year. of They've given up fewer three-point attempts than anyone else in the league because their strategy is sort of to stay at home on shooters. So... Just looking at field goal percentage doesn't give you the full picture on what they're doing. Yeah, it's really funny too because now teams have all of a sudden and and, and you know when Nelly was here the second time, he would always tell us the same thing as well. It is one point more when he's talking about the three point shot. Really simplistic, but he was, you know, he was wise in the sense that he was way ahead of the curve in valuing that shot. And I think now everybody's valuing that shot. And I think teams are going to defend a little bit differently. I think teams are much more willing to give up a one-on-one post now than ever before, and certainly teams are willing to give up a, a mid-range shot as opposed to giving up a three-point shot. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where that goes over time. That's actually what I'm writing about for tomorrow on my uh, per diem column is taking a look at the Houston Rockets V-League affiliate and Rio Grande Valley, Valley that uh, beat the Warriors uh, D-League affiliate last year in the finals. But this year so far, they're taking almost half of their shots from three-point range, and they're the most efficient offensive team in the league and averaging 131 points per game and have a chance tonight, or I think this afternoon actually, to tie the record for most D-League wins in, in the regular season consecutively. So very interesting to see you know, that and what eventually gets adopted from that into the NBA. A couple of years ago, the Warriors had Reggie Williams, kid out of VMI. And at VMI, they played this up-tempo scheme. And I asked him about that. He says, well, our coach came in the first day of practice. He said, well, he says, boys, you can't turn the ball over if you're getting the, getting the shot up. So get a shot up. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. And you see that with, with uh, fast-paced teams. Is they generally are very low in terms of turnovers. Yeah, you know, there's always it, – it's, it's, it's weird. There's always a team that's a, that kind of – uh, is against the what you would perceive as a normal structure for a good team. I'll, I'll give you a case of point, Oklahoma City. You know, last year, very high turnover team. But they're still one of the best teams, and if, if Westbrook hadn't gotten hurt, they might have been in the NBA Finals. You don't know. But, uh, you know, it, do you find little uh, blips in what you think is going to be coming out with the numbers uh, with certain teams? You know, I think one of the things we see along those lines is that there's not one specific formula um, you know, there's, there's many teams that eschew offensive rebounding entirely because they're trying to get back on, on defense and stop transition. And then there are other teams that have been very successful crashing the glass, uh, Indiana being one team that's kind of managed to marry both of those things and, and be elite in transition defense and on the offensive glass. So, yeah, I, I think it's that there's a, you have to get to a certain point in terms of how much you outscore the opponent, but there's a lot of different ways to get there. Before I let you go, just a couple of things. Are there maybe a couple of players you can throw out that maybe we don't talk about 
being good players or efficient players in the NBA, but the numbers are showing that these guys are, are really getting the job done. Are there a couple of guys like that that come to mind? Well, one of the interesting guys to me to watch this season was uh, Andre Drummond in Detroit, who put up huge numbers last year coming off the bench, and this year moving into a larger role, would he be able to maintain them? And so far he has. He's really playing at an all-star level, and I'm not sure if people realize quite how incredible he's been, especially as a 20-year-old. So he's been someone interesting to watch. And in that same vein, Anthony Davis kind of making the leap this year to superstardom and you know, still not recognized at that level, but he's been putting up incredible numbers for his age. Yeah, you know, and on that, that that team, he gets gets lost a couple of games uh, every now and then because they have some guys who can shoot and can score. And uh, to me, when they start running more things for him, uh, he's going to be really, really tough because he's filling up the stat sheet and just contributing all over the place. I think he's a star in waiting. And Kev, what's next now? You now we've we've gotten to the point where you know fans can go and they can crunch their own numbers. We can go to NBA.com stats or ESPN.com stats and put in filters and and give us little subsets of how the season is progressing. Where do you think this goes now? Well, I, th- I still think the big area of development is probably at the defensive end of the floor. We've got you know offense pretty well figured out. You know, at least in terms of valuing what players do in, in terms of when they're shooting the ball or turning it over, that sort of it. But defense is still largely a mystery. And, you know, some of these new stats are helping. Uh, you know, the camera tracking data allows us to look at, you know, how uh, someone like Roy Hibbert impacts uh, opponent shooting percentages around the rim. But, you know, still trying to value that individual stopper on the wing is a challenge or how a player contributes to a team defense. And, you know, I'm not sure how we're going to get there, but uh, I, I know that the trend is going to be towards more data and better understanding. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the, uh, the, the, the first thing that comes to mind on that uh, regard is you know, on and off the floor, how certain players impact their team defensively when they're on the floor and then when they're off the floor. I find that very, very intriguing, especially, I think, with big men you know, who protect the rim. Absolutely, and you see that year over year with you know guys like Hibbert the last couple of years, Marcus Gasol who won Defensive Player of the Year, and even the the veterans like Tim Duncan, and you know sadly it looks like Kevin Garnett may not be in those ranks anymore, partially because the Nets haven't been better with him on the floor, but many many years of that, so that's a very positive indicator. Kevin, I appreciate your time. We know you're busy up in uh, Seattle, and we. We hope to talk to you again soon. I've been wanting to get you on our show for a long, long time, and and uh, let's keep working on getting an NBA team back in Seattle. Okay, absolutely. That's job one for me. That's job one, and and because I want to go back to the Brooklyn. I like the Brooklyn. It's a good restaurant <laughs> downtown. I need to go back to the Brooklyn and, and get some oysters. So, hey, Ke- Kevin, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com. Make sure you check out his Per Diem column. A new one is coming out tomorrow, and you can follow him on Twitter at Kevin Pelton. Celebrate the holidays with the Warriors in a fully catered premium suite. Take advantage of a special holiday-themed package, which also includes a visit from Santa, an autographed Warriors jersey, and pregame courtside access. This package is only available for the upcoming games against the Lakers next Saturday or the Clippers on Christmas night. Now, for information, call one gsw hoop press option number one, and representatives are standing by right now to assist you. Sounds like the perfect last-minute Christmas gift for the Warrior fan in your family. All right, Tim Roy will come back to wrap up the roundtable on KMBR 680, the sports leader. 
Golden State Warriors basketball. Draymond goes to work with three, with two, runner, right hand flip on the rim and down! Draymond Green! We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Time out for the upcoming broadcast brought to you by Cash Creek Casino Resort. The Warriors tomorrow night. The Houston Rockets, the rematch as Golden State tries to find the solution for James Harden. Shot clock at three, the dancing Harden, the defense by Bellinelli. Oh, what a shot. Harden is feeling it here in this third quarter. He's got the stroke and he's put in 20. Warriors and Rockets start at 7 o'clock right here at KMBR 680. It's an authentic fan Friday presented by Comcast Sports Net. And Sunday, the Warriors are in Phoenix, Arizona. Their first look at the revamp to Phoenix Suns led by point guard Eric Bledsoe. Bledsoe gets in the lane area, backs away, 8 seconds on the shot clock. Bledsoe on the drive, goes to the rim and scores it. Oh, man, one of those typical Bledsoe drives. 4.30 the airtime on a Sunday, Warriors and the Suns on KMBR 680. And then back home at Oracle on the Tuesday night, it's the Mark Jackson bobblehead night. The first of 10,000 fans receive a limited edition bobblehead courtesy of Lucky. And that's when the Warriors take out the New Orleans Pelicans and former Cal star Ryan Anderson. Here's Holiday up top around Anderson's screen, leaves it for him on a pop. Anderson drives it, leaves it wing left for Evans. To the elbow and Smith, shot fake, driving, kick to Anderson. Sideline right for three. Yes! Anderson puts the Pelicans back on top, 105-103. 7 o'clock, the airtime on the Tuesday, December 17th on the Mark Jackson bobblehead night. And again, first 10,000 get a limited edition bobblehead courtesy of Lucky. And then next Wednesday, the weekly roundtable, KMBR 680, all part of the upcoming broadcast brought to you by Cash Creek Casino Resort. You can buy your tickets online at warriors.com or by calling one 888 hoop that's the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I'm Tim Roy thanking our guests, General Manager Bob Myers, thanking the various players and coaches who helped us out with our look back at Nelson Mandela and his impact on sports. I want to thank you, the listeners, as well as Del Curry, who, of course, stepped by on Warriors Vox. We thank you, the listener, for always participating and sending us questions at WarriorsVOX or TimRoy at Warriors.com. also want to thank Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com for his look at the numbers in NBA basketball. Thanking the producer who never says goodbye, R.C. Davis, David Feldhaus at the controls. A reminder, tomorrow night, Warriors and the Houston Rockets coming your way at the 7 o'clock right here on KMBR 680. Golden State Warriors basketball. Stolen by Iguodala. Right to Clay Thompson. Back to Iguodala. One dribble goes to the rim. And he scores with the right hand. For tickets, go to warriors.com. Or call 1-888-GSW-HOOP.